The information expressed in the following podcast is intended for educational purposes only and was created by and belongs solely to Believe Limited and the Flow podcast and does not necessarily reflect the views of our sponsors. Please speak to your healthcare provider before making any medical decisions. Hi, I'm Jessica and welcome to Flow. I'm here with Sarah Watson, sex therapist, and we are going to talk about war. But first, we do want to know, how's your flow? Welcome once again to Flow. We start off Flow with a quick check-in to normalize the reality of menstruation. I am PMSing. I am premenstrual. I'm fine mm-hmm. with it. It's fine this month. How about you, Sarah? It's fine. So no no interesting PMSE things for you? No. I, oh, I'll say I've been really working on my gut health. And I've noticed that oh. as I focus on that, my hormonal health is really shifting. And there's a lot of conversation around that online. I don't know if it's the only thing that helps all hormonal symptoms. I wouldn't say that, but it's certainly been helping me to focus on. Yeah. Awesome. Good. I believe I, with this this IUD in the beginning, I feel like I can track, right? And right now I'm, I have not ovulated. So mm. I'm feeling good, feeling energized, feeling like I could be PMSing, but nothing right now. And maybe it's just because I'm in such a good mood today. I don't know. Because you woke up with some good news, didn't you? I sure did. Sure did. I live in Michigan and I have the right to make a decision about my body. It's going to be codified (laughs) in our Michigan constitution, which is very exciting and um, but also strange to be so excited about that. Right. right. Yeah. As we celebrate progress and want to feel a victory, we're also feeling this victory of basic autonomy, basic bodily autonomy rights. So correct. Interesting space to be in. Yes. Yes. Trying to sort through that with other people, other women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's important to yeah. stay connected to women locally that are going through the impact of what legislation is being enacted. But it's also important to stay connected nationally. What we're doing today is discussing Birthright, a War Story, which is a national documentary in the U.S. made by Sevilla Tamarkin uh, about the war on abortion. And we'll dive in right after this quick break. This ad is brought to you by Von Vendi, Von Willebrand Factor Recombinant. My name is Nicole, and my deciding factor is making my voice heard. To hear the backstory, drop by Von Vendi, that's V-O-N-V-E-N-D-I dot com slash patient dash stories. Celebrating wins. We're still counting ballots in some places. California also codifying the important right to bodily autonomy. And it's important to vote, but as Jack Teeter told us, not just to vote. It's important to educate and organize and become really aware of some of the insidious efforts that we are up against. Welcome to Flow. Today, we're talking, we're doing straight talk about Birthright, a war story. We're sort of doing a watch-along episode. We're going to go through a couple sound bites that cover some of the topics in the documentary. We absolutely encourage you to reach out, get involved. We'll include in the program notes the website for the documentary, how you can find out about screenings. 
Let's dive into some of the issues, starting with Catholic healthcare. At the same time that we've had this shift in the rhetoric and the environment around abortion and reproductive rights, where we have this increasing stigma on abortion, we also have a growth of a Catholic hospital system. So while the anti-choice movement was in the courts and in the legislatures, and doing the propaganda campaigns at the same time you have the hospital system, the healthcare system, sort of a fourth place where these attacks were happening. Catholic hospital mergers and Catholic hospital buyouts of local hospitals and the rise of anti-choice legislation um, have created the perfect storm. It is the location where politics, religion, and medicine intersect. that I have with this whole concept is this right here. It's called the ethical and religious directives. If it wasn't for this, I think we could have an ongoing discussion. But this here ties your rights, my rights, everybody's rights, because it doesn't allow us to practice the type of medicine that you are entitled to. We're not against the Catholics or the Catholic Church. But people shouldn't be able to make rules and, and partnerships like this without any input. This is the only place in the county I can practice obstetrics and gynecology. I, I think that one of the signs is it should be under state law, not under canon law. Sarah, I know you have some experience of this with clients that you might be available to share. Yeah, so here in Michigan, I'm in the metro Detroit area. It's a pretty significant tri-county area. We have some significant hospital systems that are lovely and not affiliated with Catholic Hospital. But Mm. recently, I believe within the last 18 months, I want to say I could be wrong about when they bought, but there was a significant Catholic hospital system that bought another hospital system. I really don't understand how that works, except they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it did directly impact some of my clients discussing about their healthcare options as providers themselves who work in the hospital system what they can and cannot do and cannot get through their own health insurance through the hospital. So if I have a client who needs birth control and desires birth control, and maybe not because babies, maybe it's just because it's controlling the bleeding, you can't get it. Mm -hmm. And so it's figuring out how they can get what they need. And this has happened to multiple clients of mine because there's a lot of restriction on what they're willing to provide for their employees through their health plans, which is not surprising, but it it's just frustrating and it creates a lot of anger and rage within my clients and then within, within me as well. Like, what can they do? What if that's their only option? What if they can't afford to do something outside of that? So a Catholic hospital system is going to block access for certain people to types of care they may need those people being patients who may or may not Mm -hmm. ascribe to the same beliefs of the Catholic Church, but because they're going to a Catholic medical facility, they will be blocked with access to care. And what's scary, mergers, buyouts, and the rise of anti-choice legislation, oh my, is that these Catholic hospitals seem to be growing, expanding, again, buying out Mm -hmm. other hospitals, merging with some. And so that religious doctrine is going to continue to seep into more and more hospitals, more and more access points for patients. 
how is that going to change the conversation of a patient showing up for care? If I am traveling somewhere and I'm not in California or Michigan and I, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, need to visit a hospital and the only one near me is Catholic, I'm making it centralized and local because anyone listening, depending on what area you're in, this could be the problem you face when you're seeking menstrual care. Yeah. And then what do you do? What if you're what if you're having a miscarriage? Mm -hmm. Because that can happen easily. And what if, you know, we still don't know what can what doctors can or cannot do and what they will even look at, especially walking into a Catholic hospital. Right, because the Catholic hospital follows canon law. And we got to, mm. when it comes to politics, religion, medicine, we got to keep them separated. We got to, can we keep them separated? What can we actually do? That's the tricky part outside of continuing to pay attention to who we're voting for and making sure that they're aware of the insidious growth of Catholic hospitals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always be organizing, as we've talked about before, right? Yes, Jack Teeter. Yes, Jack. I also think, too, is if you have the access and privilege to decide where, what health system you're going to be affiliated with. You know, here, it's a 10-minute drive to go to the other system. If you're in a certain area near this Catholic hospital, I'm specifically thinking about. So can you drive 10 more minutes? I mean, if you have the access and privilege, then make that choice. Right. And talk to those physicians that are affiliated with those Catholic hospitals and how that impacts your decision as a patient and -hmm. seeing what they say. Ask the questions. You're suggesting that, yeah, a patient who is at a Catholic hospital seek out other hospitals, seek out, arrive and say, where are my other options? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you have, again, if it's not, you're not like you know, bleeding out here and you need to stay. But if you have a primary care physician that's only affiliated with the Catholic hospital, do you need to think about your primary care physician and ask them what's going on and what they think about these things? And if it doesn't align with your values, do you need to switch? Probably. I think it's just something to start thinking about. Because insurance can assign a patient who has any religious belief to a Catholic hospital. Is that the case? seems like there should be some law that says you have to say okay or no to be ascribed to a religious-affiliated hospital. Right. right. We'll put that on the list. But I think it also depends on the insurance plan. Yeah, I think that insurance is a whole other ballgame here, right? But it is, but it is, and it's part of the conversation. In fact, insurance is what helps so many women control their bleeds, hormones, menstrual Mm -hmm. experience with contraception. Contraception, which may or may not be about preventing pregnancy is one of the topics mm. dealt with in birth right a war story in fact how Sevilla puts it is we have contraception deserts let's listen mm-hmm. to the soundbite to find out more what she means the same young women who are sexually active assume that they have these rights are unaware of the fact that many of these rights are being eroded. What's important to understand about what's happening right now in the United States is that the attack on women's reproductive health and their ability to make decisions about their reproductive health is not just about abortion. It's even about whether or not young people have access to sex education or a sex education that includes more than abstinence only. In a lot of states, as it turns out, no, that sex education is only about abstinence. It even boils down to contraception and whether or not women have access to contraception. 
How has contraception become part of the war on abortion? To many people, it's ludicrous. The whole idea of contraception is you prevent a birth, uh, and therefore you prevent an unwanted pregnancy, and therefore you reduce the need for abortions. The more extreme, we might say the more fanatical wings of the anti-abortion movement changed the discourse. They said, no, uh, uh, contraception doesn't prevent abortions. Contraception is, is supportive of the abortion mentality. So, the same person who would try to prevent a birth is the same kind of person who would, if she had an unwanted pregnancy, would, would, would abort it. So contraception became like the little sister of abortion. E not quite as evil, but still evil. Uh, and then the ante got raised even more. Contraception itself became reframed as an abortifacient, something that causes an abortion. Three things I'm excited to talk about. One is sex education, because of course we're here with Sarah Watson, sex therapist, and we know Sex Ed 101 is lacking across the country. Mostly abstinence is taught. So whether or not young people have sex education is an issue. But then access to contraception is an issue because in legislative circles, contraception is seen as supportive of the abortion mentality. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Those who are anti-choice are aligning the idea that contraception, I'm just going to quote from the soundbite, the same person, they think that the same person who would try to prevent a birth would be the same type of person who, if they had an unwanted pregnancy, would abort it. It's an insidious point of view to be seen as villainous for seeking hormone replacement therapy. That is what mm -hmm. we're up against. And have been for a while. Like, this is not new. No, they've been planning and organizing me. for so long. In fact, they have the language of contraception being reframed as abort efficient. What did she say? I don't mm -hmm. even know how to say it. Abort efficient, yeah. something that can cause an abortion. So the idea of regulating your hormones or menstrual cycle could cause an abortion means that contraception could be made illegal by the, will be pushed to be illegal by the anti-choice movement. Let's go back to that lack of sex ed yes. too, right? So- we might have to double check the stat here, but I believe that like only 18 states require medically accurate sex education. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure it's 18. It might be not. I thought it was 17. Like, so yeah, maybe it's up a whole oh, percent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, fancy, fancy. Yeah, but that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Right? So most states do require there to be HIV, STI education, which is wonderful. But we need to talk about other options for safety, for pleasure, for the love of God. Can we talk about pleasure? For the love of God. <laughs> Can we also talk about anatomy? That would be valuable. Right? Like, yeah. It would be very helpful because, you know, what's alarming was the Facebook, no, sorry, uh, on social media, I don't remember exactly who was posting it, but there was interviews with men and they were curious on how tampons are used and if we can go to the bathroom. Can you pee with a urinate, tampon in? Yeah. Can you pee with a tampon in? And they all said, no, y'all, there's three holes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the vulva. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, basic anatomy is definitely missing. But especially in the, in the age of Google, it's not like it can't be discovered. There's a no. missing motivation for understanding. I think one of those other memes was how soon after giving birth can you have another baby? Can you get pregnant again? Asking men oh. on the street. Oh, what was the answer? I didn't see this one. What was their answer? Someone, I couldn't. Someone I proposed like within a month, but you know, it'd probably <laughs> be a lot. Probably be, but like nine months later, you know, they've had right. you know, people nine months right. apart. So it's probably mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so technically, right? Like if you're ovulating, friends, you can get pregnant. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there are those Irish twins, as they call them. So yes, but no, right? Because most women do not start menstruating after they have a baby. Right. So back to sex ed. Sex. Back to sex ed. It's all back to, it's all back to sex Always ed. Always back to sex ed. And not to put you on the spot, but Sarah, what? Sure. I mean, what could we, what is the 101 of sex ed? Oh, Reproductive yeah. health. Yes. <laughs> That's a big question. I know, I know. I, but I mean, like, even the, when we talk about anatomy, like, do we just, we need to yeah. talk about penis and vagina? Like, we just need to talk about mechanics with a younger generation. Yes. yes. Okay, so great example. Had a great conversation with my five and a half year old this week. Fantastic. Okay, we're in the car. She's in the back in her car seat. We're chit-chatting. We're jamming out because she loves rock and roll, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, Mom, how do babies get out? Great. Like, oh, what do you mean? Like, how do they get? How do they get out? I'm like, you mean like, uh, wait, what do you mean out of their seats? Like, I wasn't, I was not following. I was not following. I was not, not uh. there. And she's like, no, no. How do they come out of you? Right? Because she knows that babies are. I we do not say tummy. We say uterus. Great. And I said, well, babe, you know, they come out of the vagina. And she was like, big eyes. Like, I'm looking in the rear view mirror. <laughs> She's like, whoa. You know. <laughs> so then I explain the anatomy, you know, from vaginal canal all the way up into where the baby is and the cervix and all of that jazz. And she goes, uh, you know, we're t-. and I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, I stop and think she's going to say anything else. She says nothing. Hmm. She asks about a piece of candy. Okay. Just right. taking in information. Right. Yeah. Right. So... I bring that story up, one, because I love it, and she's for sure my child, right? She also uses vulva in school, which Great makes work. my heart pitter-patter. Um, <laughs> but kids, little ones especially, they just want the factual information. We are the ones, as adults, that tend to sexualize things. Mm-hmm. That when a child is asking about where a baby comes from or how they get out, right, or how they are made... Uh, they just want the details, right? They want the factual information. You don't need to sexualize things. And so I think that's where we start. And that's personally where I've started, where my partner and I have decided we are going to use vulva. She is going to be the kid that says vulva in school when her teacher says, hey, can I talk to you at pickup? And she goes, you know, she told me about how her Vulva, something involving her vulva. We don't need to disclose the whole story here. But she was like, I was just so impressed. She knew that it was, you know, her anatomy was called the vulva. And I was like, yes, thank you. And then disclosed to the teacher what I do for a living. Um, she didn't know yet. So mm, lovely. she just wants information. And I will say that's for all of the little kids. They just want info. They just want to know. 
Okay, cool. Because it's better coming from you as their trusted trusted adult than learning about it on the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lovely. It's true. Mm-hmm. And so part of the conversation of how... So how the baby comes out, not unlike alien. I figured that's what she meant. Like, where does it come out of the bot? Like, where physically? Straight out yeah, of the like tummy? Yeah, like how? Right. Yeah. yeah exa- well, yeah, when you, when all you hear as a kid is that there's a baby in my tummy, which is not medically accurate, right? It's very confusing. Yeah. Wait, but food goes in your tummy. How is there a baby there too? Like, oh, no. that's how their brains work, right? Like, okay, if I have this Oreo, is it going to the baby? I mean, you know, like no. it's confusing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, digested but, through the know. placenta, but you know what I mean. Yes, not through right, the tummy. Right, right, the baby right. is exactly. not in the exactly. tummy. It's, Great. Yes. There's not a yeah. There's not a baby in there. Mm-hmm. So can we just normalize using medically accurate language, right? Even when we're talking about, oh, look, there's a baby in her uterus. Who cares? Who cares? Why is that difficult? <laughs> Who cares? Like, why is it? Why is it difficult? I don't get it. Uh, yeah, a lot of sexual repression makes us over-sexualize reproductive anatomy in this country, right? right. And talking about right. being honest, this idea of women being aware of ovulation and pregnancy potential is important. I'm going to cut to the chase and say I haven't read it yet, but yeah. I'm really excited about this book, Ejaculate Responsibly, a whole new take on abortion, and part of the anatomy lesson to young kids of what happens when a baby is happening could include that a male scrotum holds the potential to create pregnancy at a much higher mm-hmm. frequency than the female reproductive system. So and therefore should be monitored, managed, and attended to in a contraceptive fashion. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I am obsessed with that author. If you all are not following her on Instagram yes. or Twitter, you are missing out on life. Because it's well-rounded. She is, oh my God, she is the life. It's Gabrielle Blair. Amazing. She is amazing. And she just had, uh, since we're talking about the book, she just had a write-up in the New New Yorker, New York Times, which I didn't get a chance to read yet, but it was literally this earlier this week. Mm. She's amazing and really cuts the chase. And she's Mormon. Interesting. Well, yeah. Yes. did a religion yes. episode a while back. I think we discussed, yes. yeah, the point of view of propagation from the Mormon religion. It's quite compelling, right. quite interesting when it comes time to discuss contraception. So I'd imagine the Mormon mm-hmm. perspective, yeah, mm-hmm. on the male ability mm-hmm. to create pregnancy. Interesting. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, me too. It's, it's on its way to my house. So that's mm-hmm. part of the sex ed I want to need to propagate. Yes. Um, vasectomies are becoming more common I don't have a good stat but I do know personally some couples who have made that choice as a way to support reproductive health fantastic yeah I just want to give a moment for that good on good on those penis people All right, back to birthright a war story this is a little clip about the domestic gag rule in 1973, we thought the battle was won when Roe v. Wade was handed down in January of that year. But very soon thereafter, the opposition to abortion began to do terrible, terrible damage to women's rights. One of the most notable in the mid-70s was the Hyde Amendment introduced by the late Congressman Henry Hyde of Illinois, which cut off Medicaid funding for abortion. 
Hyde himself said, I would ban it for all women if I could, but I can only reach these women because they're the ones who get their health care through the federal government. The first casualty of the Hyde Amendment was Rosie Jimenez. Rosie Jimenez was a Latina, 27-year-old single mother uh, of a daughter about five years old. She was a nursing student. She literally had a scholarship check in her purse when she learned about her unplanned pregnancy. She was on Medicaid and was therefore denied access to abortion coverage. She was forced to resort to unsafe uh, underground abortion and ultimately died of septic shock. And just to take a moment to paint a picture of a troubled person who is causing a lot of havoc in the world, the Hyde Amendment, I this fella Hyde, mm -hmm. he said he would ban it for all women if he could. He can only ban it for it being the right to bodily autonomy, right to abortion access. He can only ban it for those getting it through the federal government. That's what we are up against. This kind of mentality is causing casualties like the one outlined for Rosie Hernandez, 27-year-old single mom, this is the mm -hmm. grounding reason we've spent so many episodes talking about abortion. Yes. It's right. a right. necessity. It's a necessity because the right. other side is not going to stop talking about it. No. Right. So Rosie, let's talk about her for a second. Yeah. So this went into place and Rosie was in school, I believe, when they were talking about that. She's yeah. getting ready working and she had a unwanted pregnancy and so because she couldn't get it she went through a backdoor channel an underground abortion is what they call it and rosie went into septic shock and she died Leaning because her of this daughter amendment. because of this amendment yeah. because of her inability to make the choice to continue being a mother to her six-year-old daughter to start nursing school right. she had the scholarship paperwork yes. in her purse they said when she was oh, heading to right. yeah this is these like a moment for Rosie. Yeah. This matters. People will die. There are women that are going to die because this, especially the Hyde Amendment and, and any kind of ban on abortion is going to impact low income women of color or LGBTQIA people that can't get their services in the state and they don't have the means or the access to leave and the privilege to leave their state to get what they need done and taken care of. So again, it's a war on women, but it's a war on women in poverty, women of color. And those of Enough. you listening are listening on podcasts, probably on technology. So we know that we are living with that duality, much like we outlined waking up with victory mm -hmm. that we shouldn't have to celebrate of bodily autonomy. We are... Suggesting right. that we have the ability to converse, discuss, and remind people that women are dying, not just going to die, but dying because of this. Dying. And that right. becomes the duality for us to hold. Sip that mm -hmm. coffee and talk to a friend about abortion today. Yes. Play one more clip, and we'll have a few more things to discuss. This one is about the fetal heartbeat abortion ban. So part of the legal strategy was to pepper throughout the statutes in every state references to the unborn, to fetal life, to giving the fetus as much legal status as possible. When you put the fetus on equal grounds, the law then becomes the arbiter of what is right and good for that woman's pregnancy, for her health and her life. 
Okay. Okay. I don't know enough about this because every time I try to research it, I get so angry. So I choose wisely Uh, and I leave it at this understanding. Folks on the anti-choice movement are trying to get a fetus to have more legal status than Mm -hmm. the alive mother that is carrying Mm -hmm. the fetus. That's all. Yes. That's all. That's all. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if the seed in an apple was more of an apple than an apple. That's a great analogy. Thank you so much. I've been working on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Well, I think that kind of like, let's think about that, right? If there's a heartbeat and we've mentioned in the last episode or the one before, we were talking about the woman in Texas who was using the carpool lane because she was pregnant <laughs> and got pulled over multiple times. And she said, hey, well, you said, you know, my fetus is a person. I don't know if it's Texas or Georgia. Um, we'll have to we'll double check, check that out, one. Yeah. Seems seems like it could be either. We'll fact check. And right. <laughs> put up. She's like, well, but you said, you know, the law, the government is saying that this is another person. So that's two people. So she could go in the carpool lane. But also, let's also take a look at what does nine weeks look like? That's available for you to see on the internet. It's a mix of cells, y'all. Mm-hmm. There's there's not much there. But that's a person that has more rights than us as, as women. Right. And not to get too esoteric, but it gets into identity and rights Correct. and just and, mm-hmm. and physical matter. We also get into like physiology. Mm-hmm. Those right. images of six to nine week uh, fetus growth are definitely enlightening to those who have mm-hmm. seen for so long the imagery of a fetus with little human-like personified face and eyes. Right. Very valuable. Right. Yes, it is. What is that? You know, like I think about what is that about, right? Because we can talk about and we will continue to talk about abortion, but I think we haven't talked too much about yet, and I'm not sure if we will, is the fact of when these fetuses are coming out of our uterus through the vaginal canal or C-section, then what happens, right? Because then it's these, who's taking care of these kids? Who's helping these mothers that are, who would, who can't get their abortion, right? What happens then? Right. The- where's the, where's the push for adoption? They don't care about the the fetus once it becomes a child right. afterwards because they're cutting funding on everything else. Why support people? Why would we do that? Only fetuses. Only fetuses. When they call them babies. Yeah, when they call them babies, right? So, I mean, you're, you're a psychologist, right? You've studied psychology, <laughs> Sarah Watson, sex therapist. Yes. So yes. just for a little thought experiment, I, I'm, I'm going to pretend I'm playing a character who's anti-choice and for what, what reasons would I have to feel so offended by the idea? Like, if I, was it that I, as a child, didn't get the parenting I needed, but felt like I came here to this earth for some reason? So if I see someone else not going to be a parent of someone, I say, but I, but I came here for a reason. So there, mm-hmm. so you should have someone come through you. What is, what is the psychology that I could even cling to to understand this point of view? How do I over here, pretending I'm an anti-choice person, mm-hmm. have the have yes. a claim on anyone else's mm-hmm. action? Is it narcissism? I, uh, what is it like? What's the psychology term um, for this? 
I'm not sure what the psychology term is. I am sure it's a little bit of lack of self-awareness where they're not really sure about who they are as a person and they've been indoctrined with a lot of information that tends to come from religion. Also written by men. Mm -hmm. And changed over many years, right? I think that, I think religion plays a huge piece. I think it's lack of sex education. I think it's lack of knowing people talking about their abortions, right? Because we know the statistics, like I think one in four, Mm -hmm. Is that what we've said before? Yeah, one in four women have had an abortion, but we don't talk about it because there's shame surrounding that, right? So they think, oh, I don't know anyone who's had an abortion. Well, yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. Yes, you do. And I think it's just being self-centered of like, well, I believe X, Y, Z, but you don't know the science behind it. You don't know people's real experience. You don't know what it's like. I am very supported and very happy to have a baby, but I will tell you that first two years was life changing and altering Mm. and very very hard and I had access to everything Mm. so let alone people who don't have access to things and do not have privilege and do not have the finances to do things the way that they should be done essentially it's four bazillion times harder and that is we don't talk about that we're trying to explain like empathy empathy so these are the multitude of situations why any one person wouldn't have the right to suggest another person behave with their body in a certain way. And once again, I'm not sure this will even make it in the episode, but I'm just curious, like what? I mean, <laughs> it has to be. There's we, we diagnose so many things and there's mm-hmm. a more challenging conversation about racism as a systemic issue versus mental yeah. health issue, right? That whole. Yeah. But within this sure. anti-choice, a person standing over here and saying, you need to do this. Do we not define yeah. that as narcissistic behavior in the like racist cycle? You have to do this thing that I am saying you have to do. Yeah, I think there there's a narcissistic tendency there, right? Is it a diagnosable thing to be fully narcissistic? No, right? Mm-hmm. Like that that requires several other steps. But so, it's narcissistic to be like, oh, my beliefs are so important that I'm going to force them on you. I'm just wondering at what point we could get it defined as psychotic so then anti-choice is a psychotic move. <laughs> at what point can we restrict right, the access right. of people who have this belief because it is actually... Not conducive to. Crazy. It is actually right. not, yeah. Spent a lot of season one talking about how women going through their menstrual, extreme menstrual experience are not crazy. Sure. But anti-choice no. No. activists, my R is my right. hypothesis. Yeah, I mean, I'm there with you. Yeah. Right? I, it's just, it's alarming, I think, in any capacity to say my opinion matters about your disease your cancer, your pregnancy, mm. and you should do what I say, even though I have nothing to do with your life. Mm-hmm. Bodily autonomy. Stay in your lane, right? Yeah. You get to be in charge of your body, person. Yeah. No one else's. Yeah. You can only control yourself. Yeah. People. Come on. Come on. Yeah, I... I mean, I could just, yeah, we could go on and on about that. Well, that is, I mean, that is the ultimate message of this episode, perhaps, is a grounding yeah. reality that we individually and any listener are standing here advocating for your individual right to have autonomy over your own body, which is why we have such yes. great, we are allies and have great allies in queer action. Bodily autonomy matters yes. in every intersection. Absolutely. So what else might we want to say about birthright a war story or about these topics. 
I think the one thing that I really liked when I was watching our clips was Massachusetts and how they created their nasty law, which I loved. And it stands for negating archaic statuses targeting young. Yeah. And how they... And how that is what they, I was like, yes, I love that name, right? Like being a little cheeky with the fact that we're not going to try to control anyone's body, right? Like, come on, that's right. I, I really enjoyed that. So when you can kind of get a glimpse of like a, a sassiness, a, a middle finger, right, to <laughs> the others, that was really exciting. The other thing I think is just to, important to talk about those trigger laws, which yes. we've already been hearing about but what I was not aware of because I haven't looked at all of them but that North and South Dakota full stop nothing is allowed right so everyone else generally says you know correct Mm. me if I'm wrong but if if the life of the mother is endangered okay we can go forward but it looks like North and South Dakota say oh too bad everyone goes goodbye on to the next life Organizing states so that was, as having the authority to prohibit abortion at all stages. Yep. Yep. All stages. Mm-hmm. So that made me want to vomit and something for all of us to think about. And how do we how do we help those women in the Dakotas? Well, you know, and how do we help feeling how do we maintain feeling connected on right. that kind of national way? I'll admit that I feel localized, I'm focused localized. Yes. And I care about. Right. But also do I mean, what is it about a nationalistic sense? That I need to, I do, I do want, but is that because I feel so American and I'm going to help <laughs> those women far away? Do you know what I mean? I don't know if I do. Yeah. I don't know if all the time I right. do feel right. so yeah. representative of American points of view. Yeah, I don't feel representative of American. <laughs> I, You know, I think when people are like, America's the best. I'm like, well, friends, have you heard about other countries? <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. I mean, we have a lot of beautiful things to offer as a country. I also think we have a lot of horrific policies that are damaging in our history. And we could go on and on about that. I think for me, when I think about the Dakotas and the women in, in those states, I just think about being a woman. And I also think about being a mom. And I can't imagine being forced to be a mom if you don't want to be. Thank you for isolating it. We spent so much time talking about legislation recently, but the point is that we are all connected in the female pain body and in the feminine body sense, in the menstruating body sense, female or male. The menstruating body is does connect us all. It's not just about those state or nation lines. It's what our women and menstruating individuals going through in oppressive regions, local and far away. Yes. Yes. So without actionable steps to help women currently in the Dakotas, knowing that those trigger laws are significant, particularly there. I would say maybe kind of going back to Jack's episode and then also thinking about what I've just been seeing this week before the election is donating to the abortion funds so Mm -hmm. that if they need to get funding to leave the state. So organizing in that capacity, also looking at what do they have? What's going on there? What is North and South Dakota doing and how can you from afar help? I think it's doing some research, right? Research, yeah. Connecting. Who do you know that knows someone there? I have friends that live there. Okay. So I will be chatting with them over Thanksgiving break. Great. Say, hey, what do you know? Yeah. 
Well, in yeah. this episode comes so I think out it's in December. Do some rest- yeah. I'm trying to think, but we right. will talk. I'm gonna I'm gonna catch up with you about what you know from people in Dakota because you're my link to the Dakotas right yeah. now. Then Sarah, maybe we can share folks too with what you learn. Yeah. Yes, I'll see what they say. And one is a physician, so I'll be very interested to see what she has to say and what she she she's not in the uh, OB gyn or reproductive area, but she is a physician, so I'll be interested to see what she has to say. Nice, very nice. Yeah. Good reminder to stay connected to the organizations helping women travel, transport themselves mm-hmm. to where they need to be to get access to care. We are in this Correct. together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, then, to wrap us up, this is December. We will be back. We are back for season three in January with Robin from Hello Cup and much more flowing on. Exit lines. Oh, what was it? What was that thing we were doing? What was I saying? Oh, shocking. Totally normal. Shocking. shocking. Yeah, what's shocking? Shocking. What's shocking? What is shocking? (laughs) What isn't shocking right now? My brain is swirling. We can bring that back in January. Absolutely. (laughs) We're going to talk about menopause, too. Let me do that. So we at Flow hope you have a good holiday season. Stay safe. Stay aware. We'll be back with new episodes on the second Thursday of each month. Straight talk about menstrual products and menopause in 2023. Bloodstream Media is more than just a rare disease podcast network. With shows on chronic pain, menstrual health, and Dungeons and Dragons, yes, Dungeons and Dragons, Bloodstream Media's got a little something for everyone. Visit bloodstreammedia.com or find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to learn more. And thanks to our sponsor Takeda for their support of Flow. Flow is produced by Bloodstream Media. Shout out to Amy Board, creative director, and your hosts, Sarah Watson and Jessica Richmond. In 2022, Flow will have new episodes the second Thursday of every month. Hey, that's the day after I start menstruating. <laughs>